0: Philippians chapter 2, right? Is that right? Okay, you can go ahead and talk with me. Philippians chapter 2. Let me start by reading here in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, and of one mind, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's pause there. Paul is starting out here and writing to the church of Philippi. And these beginning verses are, in essence, I'll call it this, do this verses. He has something that he's asking them to do. And so we're going to start with the do this part of it. Now, let's begin verse 1, and let's walk our way through. Now, um, for some of you, you're going to be excited. For others of you, you're going to be bored. Just for a moment here, because I want to talk some grammar. And uh, if you loved grammar in school, would you raise your hand? God bless you, okay? Because I don't know why I have my hand up right now because I was not one of those. But I need to talk a couple things of grammar here, because this first verse, let me put it this way. I so love the fact that we have English translations of the Bible. You know, there's many people, many places in the world that don't even have a translation of God's words in their own dialect. And we do, and we have many of them. I'm grateful for that. Now, one of the things about our English is... I'll kind of may shock you a little bit here, but it kind of gets in the way sometimes of actually what the text is trying to say. Um, I want to hit two grammar items. Number one, verse one is called, actually going into verse 2, is called a conditional clause. In fact, it's technically called a first-class conditional cause. Now, it means it's an if-then statement. Now, when you and I hear if-then, we usually think something hasn't happened yet, but it's probably going to happen. And if it does happen, then there's going to be a result of it, correct? So the if hasn't taken place yet is generally how we think about it. So here's what happens when you read verse 1. We go, so if there's any encouragement and Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection, and if there's any mercy, sympathy. It sounds like Paul is doing this. He is on a cable cooking show, and he is telling his readers to, hey, go in your kitchen cabinet, go in your kitchen, look in your cabinets. And if you have any dill, or if you have any sage, or cinnamon, or whatever kind of spice, if you happen to have any of that, grab that out, grab a dash, and do this. But if you don't have any of that in your kitchen cabinet, that's okay. It just adds a little bit of bam to the whole thing, okay? But, and so what ends up happening? We read this and we go, well, if they have it, if they don't, if they whatever. So if we don't have it, don't worry about it. I just want to tell you something. This text, I think, reminds me so much of you guys. Why do I say that? I say that because the if is not if it ever happens. A first cat class conditional clause, the if is happening. So I just want to let you know, you may think this is heretical, but in my English Standard Version Bible, I actually have the first five words crossed out because sometimes our desire to get the literal mo- placement of words correct actually leads us not to quite understanding what's happening. As a first-class conditional cause, I would suggest this. It really is saying this. Therefore, since there is encouragement in Christ among you, since there is comfort from love among you, since there is participation in the spirit among you, since there is affection among you, since there is sympathy, mercy among you, that's how the Philippians readers understood that to say in the Greek. And I just want to say, that's what reminds me of you guys. I look at these people here and I go, this is one cool church. They've got some really wonderful things taking place. And Paul is acknowledging that in with, with what's going on. Okay? So first-class conditional cause is really important for understanding what's beginning out here. Now, let me bring in one other thing. The statement in verse 1 begins with a conjunction. Some of your translations, it says, so and then goes on. Others, it has therefore. Whenever there's a therefore, always ask yourself, what's it there for? So when you look at it, a, a conjunction ties it to what's just been said before it. Why is that important? Because if you are here last Sunday, I talked about. we talked about the paragraph right before it, and the line of verse 27 is the central directive theme topic point of these whole coming weeks here through chapter two. So if it's therefore, it's tied to it. So let's go back to the driving idea. Verse 27, Verse twenty-seven, as I termed it uh, last week, kind of in Yoda talk, which is a little bit of a literal translation of it, but I think it just brings home the point. It's this, only worthily, Paul is telling him. We can just stop at those two words. Uh, Paul is saying, listen, Philippians church, only worthily of the gospel of the Christ, you all must be living. So Paul is telling them there, that's the main heading. And now he's saying, therefore, he told last week about, therefore, you all must be living the gospel. Then he tells them about how you must be standing firm in it in the following verses. You must be side by side for it. You must not be frightened it, not intimidated. Again, this is all last Sunday, what we talked about last Sunday. And last Sunday, I talked about how this picture just doesn't quite fit the reality of it. This picture does. Okay, Paul is coming in this discussion. And he's not like, hey, Philippians, be mad about it and like spear everybody that you see. That's not what's going on here as these Roman soldiers are guarding something. What this is talking about, Paul is having this idea. He's saying, listen, there is untruth that will creep into the truth of the gospel and you protect the gospel. You protect the good news of Jesus Christ. You protect that, but anybody could come in and be a part of this. If you seek and you want to understand who God is and come to understand, you can be a part of this linked arm by arm, side by side, standing firm for truth, not letting untruth come in. That's the point that Paul was hitting on last week. And it's out of that discussion, he says, therefore. And this is what I love. He says, out of that, he's been telling this grand thing to do. And he says, I just want for you to know, I recognize the fact you as my very first Europe church plant, I recognize the fact there's five awesome things happening among you. And here are just the five, just to remember out of this, since there is grounded in Christ encouragement. It's not just like, hey, love your hair today. Hey, nice clothes. Hey, by the way, you're really good at that. It's this, it's more a truth stuff. It's meat stuff. It's scripture stuff. It's, it's God, uh, Christ talk of what's going on encouragement. And remember, uh, if you're here in this series before, I could sum it in one word, honk. You remember that? We talked about how encourage one another and how geese honk to encourage one another. That's what we're talking to, man. There's a whole bunch of Twitter and Facebook honks going on that week. I loved that. And hear it say they're doing that. And then secondly, it says from out of Christ comforting, it's not just comforting willy-nilly, but it's, it's Christ comforting. It's Christ consolation and solace. Third, it says that you are the kind of church that's through the spirit of God participation. There is community among you. There is sharing among you. Fourth, from out of the heart affection. I love this. It's not like I'm stuck with you, so I'll put on a good face. It's a deep out of the heart down from, as they would talk in the East, uh, it would be from the bowels affection, that deep. I love you guys is what's going on here. And I love being together. I love being side by side in this process. And he said, that's the kind of place you are. And then fifth, he says, you're the kind of place that's giving sympathy. You're giving mercy. Listen, people who really actually do get mercy, give mercy. Last week we talked about the gospel over here is the pit of doom over here, You know, remember all that stuff we talked about last week? And it's like, if you don't get that, you're not going to be a mercy giving person. Because the mercy of God has been laid out in your life. I say again, what a cool church. What a cool place. And it was a delight for me to read through that as a pastor. Because I know some pastors read through that passage and go crud. I would love a church like that. I just want to say, thank you for being a church like this. I mean this for real. Thank you. Since this is happening among you, Paul has one thing to say. So this is to us, if you will. Look at verse 2. Now then, we could put in there, this is the next part of the conditional clause. Since all of this has happened, now then, complete my joy by being. Uh, Let me hold here for a second because there is just a potential for a slight question to be had in this and going, Paul's, is Paul getting a little bit leadership arrogant? I mean, in essence, Paul is saying, hey, in fact, this is an imperative. Paul is actually saying, hey, Philippians, you must complete my joy. So what's the deal? Is this all about Paul? Sounds, you see what I'm saying? May sound like a little bit like it's about Paul. Well, let me put it in this perspective. (sighs) Who has been the person or persons who have had the greatest impact in your life as far as it comes to spiritual things with the Lord? Who is that person or persons? I really think now, who is that? Is it a parent, friend, pastor? Maybe it's been a school teacher or, or, or someone in your life, who is that? You wanting to be able to have them see you mature and grow in Christ, that's a good thing. You wanting to be able to be a part of having them see you maturing, that should be a good, I'll call it horizontal motivator. In fact, I want to take us to two verses here quickly. Uh, Number one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Just turn in your Bibles, maybe about five, six pages to the right, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're at the end of the book of Thessalonians. Paul writes to them, and he says this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Paul says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, say, Doug, you're saying this because you're the pastor and you just want everyone to love on you. No, <laughs> that's not what I'm doing here. And in fact, in the text, we're going to see in two Sundays, two people, we'll call them kind of lay people ministers, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Two men who have had a huge impact on these people, and talk, Paul talks about them very highly and about loving on them and about holding them high and esteeming them, as he does here in Thessalonians. Turn a few more pages, maybe about six, eight, ten pages over to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. The writer of Hebrews says this, chapter 13, verse 17. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Wow, that sounded pretty harsh, but no, it's obey your leaders and submit to them, yield to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Hey friends, do you realize, even just as pastors, elders here, we have to give an account for you. And in that, and let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I'm just gonna tell you for me, one of the things that made me caution and hold back and consider for a while about going into full-time ministry was whether I could handle it because of the pressure and the load and the weight of shepherding people and for those people who have had huge impacts in your life this is talking about them as well if you will in their principle those people have had big impact in your life you want to be able to encourage them along help them to continue to be able to do that let me make it very transparent here For me personally, I really want to have Randy and Dr. Evans and Hank and Kent and my wife over time see me mature and grow in my love for Christ and my service for them. I yearn for that to happen in an increasing manner to encourage them that what they have put in it's worth it that they are reaping fruit of what God has done through their willingness to share their lives with me and that is a motivating reality for me but would we not all agree it's all for Christ right it's all for Christ but there's a horizontal reality in it. That's why Paul is coming in and saying, now then complete my joy. Paul's got his whole heart invested. He loves these guys. And he's like, complete my joy by being this. Verse two, by being of the same mind. Same mind, same mind about what? Well, so is this a call that everybody has to think exactly the same? Everybody has to think the same about ministry techniques? It's kind of like we all need to be a hundred percent minded about every theological issue, or or we have to be a hundred percent about we all love the exact same kind of music that's what no. Or sometimes it even comes across where people. It's like, we got to be 100% about accounting methods or 100% in agreement about whether we do ABFs, you know, Sunday, adult Sunday school classes, or whether we do small groups or whether we do both or, or, or whether in all this, we have to all fully agree on whether I love that building design or I love that or, or we have to be fully agree about, I love the, this, everybody should be about one translation of the Bible. I just want to tell you something. That's not what it's talking about. Paul is saying, we are to be one-minded On what's the center of the discussion at hand? The center of the discussion at hand is this one mind about living worthily of the gospel. That's it. Listen, we can be many stripes, many colors, but when it comes right down to it, if we're going to be God's kind of church, we've got to be one mind on the one thing, and that is the gospel. Period. That's the thing, friends. So I could say, they say, Harvest, what's your thing? Well, our thing is being about the gospel thing. That's it. No, 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 Doug, you're not understanding my question. You know, every church has like their own little unique thing. You know, their own little unique ministry hobby horse. You know, what's yours? Um, <laughs> sorry for sounding so simplistic, but it's just one thing. It's the gospel. No, 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 Doug, I, I don't think you're fully catching. It. I mean, what are you guys all busy about over there about? One thing. Only worthily of the gospel of Christ, you must all be living. Listen, friends, that's our thing. Raise that flag. And people sometimes will go, come on, seriously, like what? No, that's our thing. Because Paul says, listen, hey, you can be doing all kinds of really nice stuff. You can be an encouraging place and yet not be one-minded on the gospel. You can be a place, you can be a church that dispenses comfort and not be one-minded on the gospel. You can be a church that has lots of participation and not be one mind on the gospel. You can be a place where there's real affection, where people genuinely and in all sincerity really actually do care about one another and yet not be about the gospel. And you can be a place that gives mercy and not be about the gospel. And I'm just gonna say this. We've got lots of organizations and we have lots even churches in our world who do those wonderful things, but they are not one mind On the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, Listen, that's the thing. That is the thing. Church, be one mind on the one thing. Hey, all our minds on that harvest. That's our banner, that's our flag. Well, the text goes on to describe one mind. And let's just kind of breeze through it. What does one mind look like? Uh, verse two, having the same love. A Christ-like love that loves others equally. Then it says, be in full accord. I like this. The word, it's united, har- harmonious. But it literally could be translated like this. Be one soul person. I like that. uh, uh, uh. uh, uh, uh. You know, it's just be one soul person. Isn't that cool? Hey, many stripes, many colors. But when it all comes down, we're about how many things? One thing. We're all one soul person. Remember when you were a kid and it was soul trade? Uh, that was not in my notes. I should have not kept it out. One soul person. like that. Uh, Here we go having the same love being in full accord being of one mind. It's interesting. Paul says it again I just want for you to note uh, Some talk about that. This is saying four things have the same mind have the same love have the full accord be of one mind Uh, The grammar as well as the rest of the flow of the text does not show that it's four things a list of things Paul's just giving one thing and describing that one thing the one thing is have one mind together one mind Uh, And then it's a horizontal there. And then verse three, it describes some more of it. Uh, Here's what it looks like doing nothing from rivalry. Have you been part of a, a work or organization or sad to say this, but even a church where it's been like politicking and positioning? None of that. Paul say None. That's not a one-minded place. Do nothing from rivalry. He also says, do nothing from conceit or from vanity. It's kind of like, why them? Why not me? Or or it's about, I want things to be about my thing. I want things to be about my idea. Or I I want to to be noticed. I want to be thanked. I want to be acknowledged. Make it about me. And Paul's saying, no. But look at the rest of the verse. And so he gives a contrast. But in humility. Hey, by the way, humility is not false pride. Humility is not this. I am just a worm. I am of absolutely no value. Just crush me. That's not what humility is. That is actually pride. It's the opposite side of pride. Instead here, it's humility. Well, what is humility? Well, let's look at the text. It it states it. Each Counting others more significantly than themselves. In other words, it's more about you than it is about me. Hey, JC, I love you, but it's not about you, is it? Nope, it's about her, especially her, because she's your wife. And by the way, it's about them, and it's about them, and it's about them, and it's about them for JC, isn't it? All in JC for everybody else. Yeah. Okay, how about this? All for you being about everybody else. (laughs) Okay, thank you. (laughs) It's hard though, isn't it? Isn't it? Listen, I struggle with being one mind about one me. And so do you. You struggle with being all about you. I struggle with being all about me. And here Paul says, do this. Or I should say, don't do that. Don't do that. Be about others. Here then it says, verse 4, each looking to his own interests. Isn't that cool? Because we can react to the humility thing and go, okay, so I can't be about my interests at all. No. You need to care for yourself. You need to take care of yourself. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, if you know Christ, you are a temple of God. And you have a stewardship responsibility there. But I love it. Each looking to his own interest. But the point is, and to the interest of others. Be one mind. Well, let me put it this way, kind of practically, where the rubber meets the road. Uh, we have a, a team that's getting ready to go to St. Vincent Island here, to a harvest church there, to help do ministry to uh, to teens and such. And uh, I just want to say this, and Paul, in essence, would be saying this. Hey, you know, the St. Vincent team, it's not about their thing. It's about our thing. That St. Vincent team, that's our thing, not just the team member's thing. Let me give you some others. Someone's in the hospital, someone's hurting. That's just not the deacon's thing. That's just not the pastor's thing. That's our thing. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone is doing every little thing. That's called busy program church. That's called in the harvest where we say worship, walk, and work. Uh, That's where the working is equating to the walking. In other words, if I'm doing lots of stuff, I'm in a good relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, you can be doing a whole lot of good stuff and not be in a good place with Christ. It's not that. But it is about everyone participating for the one thing. All on board. Hey, the new babies that are just like, (laughs) hey, that's not just those parents thing. That's our thing. And let me carry it to this. The discipling of children here, that's not just the parents thing. That's not just for those who really love kids thing. That's our thing. Oh, by the way, if you've been here for a while and you're kind of involved and you know what's going on and how we do it, we do things differently here. In other words, it's all hands on deck working with the kids, not just those who really love it or are really good at it. You know, we have people here that are ministering to children who aren't all that good at it, and I love that. I love that. Because it's all for one thing. And the gospel is about Jesus Christ and discipling people in Christ. And it starts with the next generation in our own house. A note about one-mindedness. We generally think of it it's an end game. In other words, uh, we're one-minded because we've encouraged or because we've comforted or because we've participated. Now, there's no question after you do things together that you grow tighter together. There's increased unity together, experiences form together. There's no question about that. But Paul is not saying that because these people are already doing these things. We think generally of one-mindedness as coming after all the activity. Paul is saying, listen, you can be doing all the activity and not be one-minded. So this is like a separate umbrella overall uh, 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 issue. Paul is saying this, hey, God's people, you need to start with one-mindedness. You may be looking for a church and this comes to be your church family. I wanna tell you right now, guess what? Right now, one mind. Even though you haven't maybe even done anything with us. As a church, we're to be one mind kind of people. That's the way we're supposed to think. Walk through the doors here. Go into a small group thinking that I'm I'm one mind with you guys. Together, what do you mean one mind? We're all the same? No. The one mind goes back to we're about only worthily of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all living. That's the thing that we're one minded about. Just think how that would impact things. If I came, if you came to everything thinking that way, as opposed to what I'm, I can't wait for it today, because I'm going to get stuff out of it. Leave it at that. Paul's peal: Church be one mind on the one thing, on the vertical thing. In fact, let's hear this uh, word from Pastor James in a video.
1: The other day I had on my desk 30 recent books written about the Church of Jesus Christ. One word describes them all horizontal. How to understand your audience, how to impact the people around you, how to influence them, how to win them, how to assimilate them, what they need, what they want, what we think, what they think. Forget it. Here's a word you need to have at the forefront of your thinking. The word is vertical. Somehow we've lost this in the church. The idea that the church is supposed to be about horizontal, man-centered, human persuasion, cultural penetration. Nonsense. Before the purpose of the church was ever so teriological, it was doxological. Ephesians 3.20 says, to him be glory in the church through Jesus Christ now and forevermore. Everything we do has to resound with the fame of the name of God's son. When that happens, everything else falls into place. Evangelism, discipleship, community impact, ministries of compassion. These things are byproducts of a church that is passionately consumed with the glory of God. It's a concept that you need to have at the forefront of your thinking about the work of the church of Jesus Christ. Vertical.
0: Hey, one mind on one thing, put in one word, vertical, one mind on that thing. Hey, all aboard. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for the little choo-choo. Isn't it? That's what Paul's saying. Hey, Philippians church, way to go. I'm seeing these traits in you. I'm so thrilled about what's happening. Listen, I just, it's like, I plead with you for my heart. Just make sure don't get to the place where you're just doing stuff. You're just busy, 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 busy doing stuff. And you literally lose sight of being one-minded about the one thing, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the thing. Well, here's what I also love about the Bible. It doesn't just say do this, but it says like this. I'm very visual person. You could sit down and give me the list, but give me the one illustration and I got it. That's just the way I function. And I love the fact here, Paul gives us an illustration. And here's what I love about this illustration. It's a vertical illustration. Hey, if you wanna know what it looks like to be a one-minded person on the one thing, the gospel, Look at Jesus Christ. That's where Paul goes. So let's do this. Do this like this. Pick up verse 5. Here we go. Verse 5. Have this mind, and it's imperative. You must have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Uh, say this. He gives it as an emphatic. In other words, he's saying, you need to have the mind, the, the one mind that looks like Jesus, and you must have that. And you go, come on, Paul, I don't know if you got the memo, but I'm not Jesus, right? And you can look at this and go, this is impossible. Hey, the fact of the matter is, is this isn't about being perfect, but this is about going after it. Let me remind us what God expects of us, God equips us to do. It would be a cruel thing for God to say, you have to do this. You have to be this way. And it literally be impossible for us to do that. What God expects, God equips to be able to actually have That's why we can never say, can't do that. Because God has said, you can do that if he's given it. So have this mind in yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, then he goes on, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but instead made himself nothing. Okay, I'm giggling to myself. can't believe I just used that word. I'm laughing within myself because what I've just read is the kind of text that uh, theological-minded people love just to spend days and years on. And I just want to toss this out. Is it grand theology here? Yes, and I'll make a note about it. But let me remind us of this. The context in which Paul stated what he just stated is for illustration purposes. He's not in front of a classroom. So let me go this way. What does this mean? It says, and though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, the thing to be grasped." Doesn't that sound like Jesus was a man who tried to be God-like, doesn't it? That's not what Paul is saying. So let me hit a couple things, the form of God, the form of God. This is where some of the English gets in the way. Uh, The word in the Greek is really talking about this aspect of Jesus is the very nature and being and being of God. Jesus is God because that's what he said he was. In fact, that's why they crucified him, because he said he was. And this is saying he was God. It's not like he was an injection molded lookalike of God. He's not a cardboard cutout like God. It's it's saying he is God. He's the very form. He is the very being and nature of God. And he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So it sounds like he's saying, well, he was trying to grasp to be like God. Uh, That's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying here is this. Jesus Christ did not consider seizing upon his very nature and being for his own advantage. By the way, do you remember, if you know some of the Bible, uh, right after he was baptized, he went out for 40 days in the desert. Satan tempted him, and Satan made one of the most stupid kind of things. I mean, here's Jesus, by the way, the creator, Colossians chapter 1. And Satan is saying, hey, I'll give you all this. It's like, you don't own it, dude. Let me just tell you, God is never threatened, okay? He's never nervous. He wasn't like, ooh, you scare me. Uh, but he's doing this. Uh, part of the reason is because I mean he hasn't eaten for a long time. Maybe he'd catch him off guard. But here in it, it's not about Christ. Christ isn't about just the second person of the Trinity. Uh, Christ is about the Godhead. And he's willing to submit himself and, and to do uh, as the team has. And so here, Christ doesn't come to, to make everything all about him, as we talk about in a human manner. It is all about him, but he's not all arrogant about it. But Christ instead is coming here. And let me put it this way. He's not selfishly clinging to a favored position as second person of the Trinity, nor is he viewing it as a prized possession to be used for himself. He isn't going around with the second person of the Trinity logo on his chest. Okay? Look at this. But instead made himself nothing. What does that mean that theologically is called the kenosis because of the word that's there he made himself nothing two things have caused some result of misunderstanding here one is actually the new american standard bible uses the word he emptied himself Okay, so out of that what you begin thinking is so what did he empty himself when he came here? So it's like this, he's up in heaven, he's up in the throne room with the, with the Trinity, with the Godhead, and so he's getting ready to go down to earth, so he grabs this, and he leaves that on his throne, and then he's grabbing this, and he's leaving that there, and he's grabbing this, and he, he's doing that. So what we really end up getting is a, a bite-sized McNugget God in the person of Christ. Now, let me add the other faulty reasoning in this. Actually comes from my literally my very favorite song growing up in church called, And Can It Be? I love that. Seriously, I love that song. But I believe it's in the second verse where it says that uh, so free, so infinite. And it says, he emptied himself of all but love. What that is saying is all the attributes of God, were of Christ as a second person were left on the throne in heaven and he came as a one attribute, God, love, and that's it. That's not what Paul is saying. Friends, this is huge. I can't, as I prayed, I can't even begin to explain to you the impact on me this week with this. So if I tear in the next while, bear with me because I'm still trying to think through this. What we see in the person of Christ is all God. Not a bitty, bitty part of it. Not like a condensed, you know, uh, 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 orange juice can of it. All God. All of it. How much? I'm telling you, all of it. Nothing was left on the throne. All of it was brought to earth in the person of Christ, the second person of the Trinity, person of Christ. All of it was brought. And look at this, look at verse seven and eight. He says, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What's the flow coming out of this? The second person of the Trinity did not come down on earth to beat his chest and to make sure that everybody knows, look at me, I rock. Second person of the Trinity came down on earth for this one reason, because you and I have a sin problem. And it's a sin problem I could not take care of on my own in myself. But he, in grace, came fully with one mind on one thing going to the cross in my place. Get a load of that. Hey, do you realize that in Islam, they teach that God is unknowable? Or do you see God as the old grandpa, uncle, with the long beard sitting on the porch, just he's so eternity old that he's kind of losing it, and some of the drools coming out of the mouth, and every so often he's awake, every so often he's just not with it. Or do you see God as the King Kong kind of God, where there's bits and pieces of Mercy and niceness, you know, and he's got the person in his hand kind of thing. But then all of a sudden, his nature is actually, Aah! i just been thinking, let me read some of these this week. God, the second person of the Trinity, was born. If I were God, I wouldn't have done that. He was born. He was born in human flesh. He was born in a household of two young, poor, no names. He even timed his arrival. How gracious, how kind, to allow Simeon and Anna to behold him. He didn't have to do that. He allowed John. The experience of baptizing the second person of the Trinity in the flesh. How kind. He allowed two of John's disciples to hang with him for a day, just to be able to learn who he is and ask him questions and interact before they ever were his disciples. How kind. He's at a wedding. He prevents the family of the wedding from total embarrassment by turning the water to wine. That was not a King Kong moment. That was a moment where how kind he did that. And yet in it all, he shows himself. In the dark of the night, there we find him helping a Pharisee called Nicodemus, trying to understand who God is and what it's all about. And there he is, just sitting with him, talking. Hey, Nicodemus, do you know what it is to be born again? How kind. A Samaritan woman, a total societal outcast because of choices in her life. And a Jew sits with a Samaritan woman, a male Jew sits with a Samaritan woman. Oh, yeah, a male Jew that is the complete, full, second person of the Trinity in the flesh, sitting with a sinner, S- S- Samaritan woman, telling him about himself. And revealing that he has living water for her. How kind. An invalid for 38 years and Jesus makes him walk. Get this one. A woman prostitute. A woman prostitute. About to be stoned. And the one... That had the right to throw the stone, cease the whole thing. Grace. The self-righteous, self-religious leaders, <laughs> he gets in their face, doesn't he? Let me put it this way: How kind. Because those were individuals that needed to hear truth. Because they were engrossed in total lies. And he shared truth with them. Straight up truth. Because that's what they needed to hear. How kind. Oh, I could just keep going on and on and on. Zacchaeus, a wee little chief collector man. And he eats with him. And he hangs with him. Not because it's like, that would be a cool thing to do so other people would think of me. It's because he loves this guy who everybody else hates. Jesus mocked. Jesus whipped. Jesus slandered. Jesus spit on. Jesus falsely accused. Jesus beaten. Jesus humiliated. Jesus nailed to a cross like a piece of meat. Why was he nailed to the cross? He was nailed to the cross because he was viewed as a threat to people. (gasps) Yet how kind was he? Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing And he gives up his life Hey Paul is saying this That guy That was one mind On the thing And you all Be about that thing Just like that Isn't that cool Doesn't that scare the living life out of you It does me Friends, God has shown himself fully. You can know him. And God has done that because he loves. Let's look at the last part of the verse. Part of your verse nine. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name. Oh, I don't have the time. I knew I wouldn't. Listen to me. What did God, the father is talking about the father, first person of the Trinity. Therefore, God, the father highly exalted on God, the son, the second person of the Trinity and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Hey, we talked about a couple Fridays ago in the Harvest University Indy West class. We talked about how God speaks. And when God spoke in Genesis chapter one, things were created. I can't do that. And you can't either. He didn't have a manufacturing plant. He didn't go get a whole bunch of, you know, backhoes and caterpillar machines. God just poof, and it happened. Oh, also, when Jesus was in Gethsemane and they came to take him away to be crucified, the gospel of John tells us that when Jesus interacts with them, they say, who are you looking for? And he asks, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And in John, Jesus says, I am he. And in John, when he spoke it, it flattened them all. The name. When Jesus returns, I think I've thought a little bit too much on the King Kong thing. He's coming back. Oh! <laughs> uh, judgment's going to be happening, no question about it. But here in the text, look what happens. So that, verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, oh, at the what? Not even the sight, the name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, everyone will acknowledge who he is. At that point, the question is, have they already acknowledged it before, or have they acknowledged it before it's too late? Go home and study and enjoy this passage this week. But let me just say this. The point of the text Church, be one mind on one thing, many stripes, many colors, but on one thing, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He came and did for me what I could not do for myself. And the Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, forgiven, redeemed, taken out, as we talked last week, taken out of the pit of doom and despair, and literally placed, as Ephesians 2 talks about, placed, raised up, made alive, seated with God. Why? So that we can King Kong ourselves. No, so that we can lift the name or as James said it's all about the fame of the name passionate about that hey God thank you so much for this time and for this text wow you are beyond our ability to grasp thank you Lord God uh I thank you so much for the fact that you have not just saved us but you've given us a call to live in a certain way in certain ways. You have every right to do that because you are God. And Lord, one of the things you've called us as a body of Christ as a as your people as a local church, here we see out of this text, you've called us to be the kind of people that are one-minded about one thing. And the truth of the matter is we can be so one-minded about the one thing of ourselves, or we can be so one-minded about the one thing of the peripheral things that we lose sight of the one thing. Oh God, I pray that we would continue to be a church that is encouraging and comforting and participating and giving mercy and giving sympathy and doing all those kinds of things that bring you great glory and honor because that's what you've done for us. But even in that doing I pray we would not clutter out what it's all about. the Fame of your name. May we be about that thing and that thing alone. Jesus Messiah with us. You rock, God. You really rock. And so we adore you for it. In your name we pray. Amen.